like to <clears throat> excuse me talk a bit more about impermanence um, and so that the fourth uh, the uh, fourth grouping of of uh, tetrads um, uh, mindfulness of impermanence uh, dispassion cessation and relinquishment so especially on uh, impermanence and then We'll touch on those, the, the other ones. So, um, <coughs> impermanence is, uh, is taught in Buddhist teaching to be a characteristic of anything that we can experience through our senses. Um, and, uh, and so we we know a lot about, <clears throat> um, or we can we can look around and we can see evidence of of um, impermanence in the world around us. Um, we see the changes and forms and trees and buildings and neighborhoods, and we see uh, changes in our bodies as we. Get older, so so this is uh, one one level of seeing impermanence, and it's it's important um, in order to in order for this knowledge of impermanence to to really have a, a liberating um, effect on us, so that we're not caught in trying to grasp onto things, we need to know about it more deeply than intellectually. And we need to know it directly within our inner experience. And so we've been talking about this today. Um, we need to see it with our inner eye. So, um, so it's most transformative to know impermanence within our body and, and mind. So simply knowing the change in, uh, in the breath that happens with each breath, you know, in every sitting, you know, how many changes do we discover in, in the breath? So, you know, in the first day of retreat, we spent a fair bit of time becoming familiar with the breath. So where we feel it, how we feel it, how it changes, what impacts on the breath, um, how the mind impacts on the breath, how, how uh, other conditions, the temperature, the um, uh, changes in our body impact on the breath. So, um, so in this contemplation, we, we were becoming, so we were becoming familiar in, in the First part of the of the Anapanasati practice, uh, just becoming familiar with the breath and feeling it and 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 observing it, and now we're kind of intentionally noticing the impermanent nature of it. So in a way, it was implicit in what we were noticing because if we're noticing all the different variations in the breath and. <clears throat> the texture of the breath, we are actually noticing how it changes, but it's, it's more explicit now in, in how we are um, meditating with the breath. So, um, the understanding or, or seeing, seeing anicca or impermanence also opens it uh, us up to um, seeing or knowing uh, the other characteristics of um, of our experience. Uh, so, in in the Vipassana teaching, uh, where we learn that you know, the Buddha the Buddha has a way of teaching in which he says, you know, well, look and see. This is what I'm telling you. You know that that I see. 
So now you look at your experience and you see if you find this to be true. And so he says, you know, nothing uh, is permanent. Everything changes. And, and nothing, no thing, no thing that we can experience through sensory, you know, contact, no thing can actually be fulfilling because it is always changing. Uh, and what's more, we're always changing. So, um, so we can't find a kind of, um, you know, it's, it's always unstable, it's always uh, unreliable. One of the words I like, the, the, the word for, the, for this is dukkha. Um, and it, you know, I, I've mentioned in previous talks that it has a whole range of, of, of uh, meanings, you know, and, and one of the words I, I like is unreliable. You know, we, we can't always expect that something's going to make us feel good uh, or find contentment um, with something. And so it's unstable, it's unreliable, it's unfulfilling, and then you know, at the further extreme, it's, it's painful, it's suffering. So dukkha has, has that meaning. And then the third characteristic that the Buddha says, you know, this is what I'm trying to uh, point out to you, look and see, if you see this to be true, that nothing has uh, a separate existence. Nothing exists independently, everything exists interdependently. It's everything has contingent existence. So, um, so um, <clears throat> we can we can see this in something um, you know as simple as this sounding stick. Um, so we might look at it with and with our kind of common sense, you know, you, you know, if I were to say, does this have a separate existence? You know, I'd say, yeah, it's a thing, right? It's a thing, you know. It's, it's, uh, it's not, doesn't seem to be attached to anything else. <coughs> when we look at this object with uh, with wisdom eyes you know we can see that it's made of wood um, we can you know r recognize that it grew from a tree the wood grew from a tree and um, <clears throat> and the tree requires certain conditions in which to grow it requires uh, sun and rain and uh, soil, certain minerals in the soil that that only can be created in the birth of stars, and were scattered onto the earth in the um, kind of the whole expansion of of the universe, and um, so so we can see that the elements the you know the the matter of which this sounding stick is made you know is is really um, comes from i mean really is dependent you could say or interdependent or contingent upon the existence of the universe and we could also look in terms of you know other factors we could say well this stick has a certain size a certain form there are certain little ridges on it, which, you know, are kind of traditional. Um, so it was made with tools, with some kind of lathe, um, which is a human invention. Um, so it required human intelligence, um, communication. So somebody taught this, the person who made this how to make it. Uh, and and so on, you know, somebody designed it at one point. Um, it's, uh, it's got some kind of 
soft covering on one end to make it a little to make the sound a little softer. So that's <clears throat> that's also designed uh, very skillfully, and um, and so human society, human communication, teaching, uh, craftsmanship are all part of this as well. So history. Um, you know, I don't know where it's made. You know, maybe, maybe Thailand, something, place like that. Um, so, so then we can ask, well, was the person who made this sounding stick, what were they paid to make it? You know, were they given a just wage? You know, I mean, did, was it enough to cover the you know the the actual time and effort and energy that that was put into making it? Um, what's the uh, environmental footprint of transporting this from there to the little shop on Notre Dame Street where I bought it? Um, so. There's all, there's so many dimensions, uh, you know, I could probably go on if I, you know, and, um, but there's a lot, there's a lot, you know, in this stick, and, I mean, if we look at it, then with the eyes of wisdom, we say, well, yes, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, <laughs> humanity, uh, social justice, it's all here in this sounding stick. So, um, and, and how much more our bodies, our minds, are, exist contingently. The air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, our ideas are formed by our education, our society, our upbringing, so, um, so anatta, that's, that's the third characteristic of non-self. And, uh, and so, um, so as we see impermanence, we see through the illusion of a permanent existence, a satisfying, you know, that, that, that we can be satisfied um, in, in an enduring way by sensory experiences and that uh, including and sensory experiences include you know experiences of the mind because the mind is one of is the sixth sense and um, and uh, and this illusion of a, a permanent self so we see we see through that <coughs> in <coughs> in the uh, looking deeply into the impermanent nature of things. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, a, a little, a bit more about um, the illusion of separate self, um, a kind of um, a meditation. It's not that it's negative. Uh, it's not that, it, you know, it's not that it's negative that there is no separate self. It's just the way it is. Um, it's the law of nature. So we look around us and we see that that elements come together for a time and they're bound together by certain conditions. So, um, can, you know, we know from geology about tectonic plates and we have traced back the configuration of the planet that continents have moved and shifted and so but we we have this idea that somehow our world is stable it's just that our our the the rate of change and our our capacity per, for perception our capacity for perception is is much shorter than the rate of change. The rate of change is much slower than our capacity for perception. 
So, um, so we don't see tectonic plates moving. Um, and, uh, and we can see a little bit glaciers moving. Um, actually, it's uh, where we're seeing glaciers moving and, and glaciers melting. Um, and we're seeing uh, climate changing more rapidly than we have in a long time. So conditions come together to make a continent, conditions come together to make a volcano, uh, conditions come together to make a cloud, uh, conditions come together to make a, a dog, a fish, or a human being, and then um, other forces act on these uh, temporary um, manifestations to bring their ex separate existence, what appears to be a separate existence, to an end. But it's not more, when we see the froth on an ocean wave, we can see very clearly that the froth froth is part of the ocean wave and when it comes in and it melts back the bubbles go back into the ocean we we see okay this is this is the froth the wave the wave is not separate from the ocean and and so but we but we don't see that so easily when it comes to um, people and especially ourselves So, um, so dukkha arises when we cling to a bit of froth, uh, and and so um, it's always disappointing. <coughs> um, but when we can be with a wave coming in and being a wave, uh, then it's just the unfolding of life. <clears throat> and when we know, when we, when we know about our interdependent lives, um, we can live with a deeper appreciation of our connection to all of life. Um, as as uh, I was mentioning on one of our communal walks, <clears throat> we breathe in oxygen, and and trees are breathing it out, and we breathe out CO two, and trees breathe it in, and so trees and people and all things are interdependent. Thich Nhat Han talks about this as as interbeing. That's a beautiful phrase that he coined. Interbeing. So it's not just it's not just being, it's it's interbeing. All being is interbeing. So we can see that the truths of Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta are all intertwined and are really facets of the truth of nature. Language is what separates things. Um, language is a wonderful gift that human beings have to, to see things and, and put words on them and, and understand them and, um, uh, and, and understand the differences between things and understand, you know, <clears throat> you know wh what this particular thing is, and and why it's maybe different from this particular thing. Language doesn't tell us that in this sounding stick there's a cloud. So you know we don't think about that way. That's you know one of the reasons that poetry is so wonderful is that it kind of evokes these profound connections. Some poetry does anyway. Um, 
and um, and so when we are understanding only uh, and when we're taking our experience in our experience in only at the level only mm. mediated through words and ideas we are um, we're not living from that uh, deeper place of interconnection and um, uh, a kind of um, a life, a presence of life and uh, openness, which includes everything. <clears throat> so perception, uh, I want to talk for a moment about language and perception. It's, I mean, we use language, right, to, so language is important. We use language to understand the Dharma. We use language to understand so much. You know, we learn, we can learn so much through language. And yet, um, we also have to, well, I think it's important to, to understand the, the limitations of language and how language can limit us. So, so, um, So through language, we, we create a belief system in a, a solid, permanent world. And, um, and, the, and we believe in the perceptions that we filter life through. <clears throat> One of the ways that I, it's helped me to understand how uh, perceptions are limiting, um, and perception is a very big word. So perceptions are learned, you know, as we, as from the very, you know, early moments, you know, in, in as a, as as newborns, the, the the understanding so far of the mind of a newborn is that really there, it's pretty undifferentiated, you know that. There's um, a kind of a, a soup, a swirl of sensation, and forms, sounds. You know, what is my body? What is not my body? It's not very, you know, not very differentiated, right? And then eventually, you know, a form begins to be associated. Maybe form, smell, sound begins to associate it with mommy. You know, when I when I'm hungry, you know. Mommy comes uh, and feeds me, and I feel better. You know, so, so gradually, you know, babies understand what is mommy, what is daddy, what is, uh, you know, what is different kinds of food, um, and you know, all the different kinds of objects that are around. What. Um, Kids have to learn that you know what comes out of their bodies, you know, is you know not a toy. <laughs> so the food is not a toy. Spit it out. All of these things, um, but it's all learning, right? It's all it's all learning. It's all socialization, and uh, it's all perception, right? So um, so when we perceive a baby, you know, eating a banana and then spitting it out and playing with it, you know, we might see that differently than if we saw an adult do it. Right? <laughs> so it's perception. It's perception. And, and one perception would just be, oh, that's, you know, that's a baby. And another perception would be, oh, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, our perceptions are, are uh, actually also limited by our capacity to receive, um, to receive uh, certain within a certain range of light, within a certain range of sound, certain kinds of touch, um, certain kinds of tastes. So. 
So one one example that I I, I like a lot is um, there's this uh, cosmologist named Brian Swim, and um, and he you know he talks a, he's he's given a lot of kind of uh, presentations on spirituality and the, and uh, cosmology and the environment um, and. You know, and, and one exercise that he he did was, you know, imagine a field. So just imagine any field that you know you you might be familiar with, or 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 that you know you you can just conjure up in your imagination. And so that field for you has certain characteristics. You know, you see perhaps you know blades of grass. You see maybe trees. Um, maybe there's movement of the wind. So that field is a certain field for you. You know, you, you have a sense of what a field is. An eagle is flying over the field. That's a different field for the eagle. That field is just alive with little critters. Uh, running around. Um, that eagle can see, you know, at least a hundred times better than we can. And the movement, the subtlety of, you know, the diversity and variation of what that eagle can see is enormous, much more than for us. Um, imagine a, a pony going into that field. You know, that field is full of smells and tastes uh, and textures that, you know, attract them in ways that, that we're not attracted. So the point is, there's no field. There's no field out there somewhere. There's a field that is created in the mind. There's a, there's a field that's created through our senses and what arises in consciousness and what we're capable of taking in. And, um, and so that's, that's how perception works. And perceptions are, are conditioned as well. Um, they're conditioned by our upbringing. They're conditioned by our, uh, our education. They're conditioned by our... Um, the prejudices that we were taught as children, that some people are okay and some people are not okay, and some people you should be afraid of, and some people you can trust. So, you know, all of the different kinds of prejudice that's deeply rooted in our minds, you know, it's part of perception. And so it, we need to become aware of perceptions um, and it's not that you know we're bad people because there are prejudices in our minds they came from somewhere um, it's just as if we want to become free if we want to become open if we want to become loving and inclusive uh, we need to become aware of what are the percep perceptions that form how we feel, what kind of feelings come up, you know, the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feelings. So so, um, so perceptions are impermanent as well. Um, perceptions change moment by moment. Um, you know, we, it's, it's the nature of seeing, it's the nature of hearing, it's the nature of, uh, of our senses that, that our perceptions are, uh, it's the nature of the mind, that it's not steady and stable, it's, it's, there's an inherent instability 
in how we sense, in how we, in how we think. Um, it's not, it's not solid. So, so seeing how perceptions change um, is something that happens as our meditation deepens. Um, that just, for example, um, moving into the body and, um, and just feeling, for example, you know, as the mind becomes more quiet, feeling a particular place in the body where maybe we feel pressure. And as we, if we keep our attention there, we'll notice that there's actually a lot of flux. It's not just one sensation. It's, there's a lot of flux in that. There's, there's pressure, there's perhaps um, tingling. We feel the pressure in different ways. So we, we begin to see this more clearly as the mind slows down and, and atten- attention becomes more steady. So in this, uh, in the, in this really in this seeing impermanence, and and in seeing impermanence, we also see uh, the instability or unreliability of experience and and the contingent nature of experience. <clears throat> we begin to see the patterns and the, uh, the different formations in the body and the mind. And in, in deeply seeing in, into the, the nature of our experience, the impermanent nature of our experience, uh, there is a transformation and a liberation that can happen because when we see deeply we see that we can't, we can't cling. There's nothing to cling to. There's nothing to cling to. When, we, when we're clinging to something, we're clinging to creation of the mind. And, um, and so perception, the perception is not the object. The perception is how the mind uh, takes in the object. It's we create in our in our minds with language to our senses and so on. We c- we create something, and then we're clinging to that, and so it it can't be clung to. It's <coughs> it's constantly being reconstructed. The the actual perception is is m- even more impermanent than the object. The perception of the object is more impermanent than the object itself. So, so say we have a perception of ourselves. So maybe, maybe, you know, um, maybe you perceive yourself as a man or as a woman, you know, or maybe as gender flu- uh, fluid non-binary or um, as a as a man of a, you know of uh, gay sexual orientation or so on um, so we have all these ways that we create a sense of ourself or maybe we see ourselves as old or young or maybe we see ourselves as attractive or, or ugly. Maybe we have a sense of ourselves as unattractive. Um, so all of these perceptions, all of these constructs around ourselves, their thoughts, their perceptions. And in, in that moment, between one thought 
and another thought, when the mind becomes silent and that perception is not there, who are you? When the perception falls away, who are you? So it's not that perceptions and identities are wrong. I mean, we have them, some of them maybe can be limiting. And so it's good to know if they're limiting, you know, uh, especially negative perceptions that we hold to ourselves can be limiting. But, but to know the perception is not ultimately who you are, who I am, um, is important. And so when we see when we see that perceptions arise and pass very quickly, um, it helps us not to cling to our perceptions. And so we we begin to see that um, we perhaps whatever identity we we have identities can bring us into affinity with different you know perhaps people that we we want to be in affinity with uh, but can we hold it loosely can we hold it lightly you know um, So, um, yeah, so, so what we're trying to understand is the nature of clinging. And so we cling to f- feelings, we cling to pleasant feelings, uh, we resist unpleasant feelings, and we cling to perceptions. And, um, and perceptions are associated with certain kinds of feelings too. So it's a kind of a co-arising or a clustering of um, experiences. For the mind to have an experience of not grasping is a radical thing for the mind to do. It's, it's, it's a radical experience. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's not common. And it's, uh, it's transformative. So, um, as our minds, it's it sometimes this, this collecting of the mind and uh, developing stability of attention is talked about as the mind becoming softer. The Buddha used that expression, that the mind becomes softer. Um, it's less fixated, it's less rigid. Uh, and so, you know, we have more fluidity, more flexibility uh, of being with life as it unfolds. And so, so we don't necessarily need to change our perceptions, we just need to change our relationship of perceptions. Mm-hmm. We don't need to change our feelings, we need to just change our relationship to them. Or that's, you know, what's being proposed here. To not, not to have the relationship of clinging to them, not to have a relationship of identifying with them, but just accepting them as part of the flow of life, of how life manifests within us, how life unfolds within us. (coughs) So, I think that there were questions, yes? So, I'm playing around with this a little bit. If I'm clinging to a perception, 
I'm wondering if that then becomes a belief, and then um, it's like the belief that becomes permanent. Yeah, a, a perception maybe can be more like um, on a sensory level, yeah. um, and and we put some language to it, but a belief really becomes constructed in language, and and yeah, people kill and die for their beliefs. You know, it's um, and and are extremely threatened when when their beliefs are challenged. If they if when people identify so strongly with their beliefs, it can be very threatening. And can a belief also be your relationship to the perception? Or is your relationship anything to create a belief? Your relationship to the perception? Or to your feelings? Or to can you give an example? Um, Maybe. I'm just not... So, so if I have a certain feeling, I have a... Uh, there's... there's um, have a feeling about that, so I might be embarrassed or ashamed about feeling angry, and then I have a belief that I'm a bad person. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering if the belief, um, yeah, the belief, the relationship to the, the yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, the belief can be um, a. you know, a, a kind of can can become quite fixed, you know, yeah. and frozen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we could sometimes that's also called a perception. The word perception can and be I used in that way too. So I'm loving this this distinction between that a perception comes from what we're sensing in in this moment, and then it's a little easier for me anyway to say, okay, I can that I can see that as being in right. Yeah, yeah, and perceptions are conditioned. Perceptions are formed, so perceptions vary from person to person. Like, um, you know, even colors. You know how we take in colors. You know, some per- some people might, you know, describe uh, this the color of the rug here as brown, and another person might say, well, it you know, has kind of purple overtones, you know, so, so different, like, it's just, it's just light coming in different wavelengths into our eyes and how our eyes receive them and interpret those light waves and the word that we put on it, you know, the word that we've been told is associated with that sensation. So it's, you know, it, it, it varies with our, our physiology. <coughs> Some people will see an item of clothing that somebody's wearing, and they'll think it's beautiful. And another person will see an item of that same item of, of clothing, and think it's you know very unattractive, um, or make a judgment about it. You know, so so it, they're very our perceptions are conditioned, and they change. It's important to kind of discover in meditation, uh, you know, we get in touch with these feelings, these emotions, and, and kind of, I mean, sometimes it's not just one thing. The word is helpful because sometimes the word, the labeling of an emotion, you know, if it's a contraction in 
you know, in the stomach, sometimes the labeling of an emotion can help us to attend to it rather than react to it. But, but sometimes it gets in the way. And, and, and so maybe we don't have to know whether it's fear or anger or both. You know, it's, it's something that, our, you know, something happened and our stomach is knotted and we want to run away or, or we're paralyzed or we want to strike out, you know. So all of these reactions are, you know, sometimes, you know, come up with threats. And so, you know, labeling the reaction helps us talk about it, but it's, uh, it, it doesn't actually lead us to the ultimate truth of what it is. So it just, just dawned on me, like, even the judgment or fear, I was thinking of fear, <coughs> it's all just a question of perception. So if we can thin it down to the perception, I mean, not thin it, but um, how can I put it, you know, like, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it stops being, you know, <coughs> you know, there's a perception and then uh, you judge this, I judge that, or, you know, one fear is this, one so, so there's not, there's no ultimate truth in any of it. It's well, just what the it. mind does. It's just the perception, and then it brings all these judgments, and yeah, we can just these. watch the mind go yeah, perception, yeah, yeah. judgment, and just let the mind do what it does, yeah, and we don't have to judge ourselves. It's just perceptions. Just perceptions, and and we don't have to think, oh, I had, you know, judgments coming up. I'm a bad person. You know, I shouldn't have judgment. I have to get rid of judgment. I have to eradicate judgment. You know, well, when we don't buy, actually, what happens when is when we don't buy the judgment, when it doesn't form form a belief, right? And we don't harden it into a belief. Like that judgment is right, but we just see it as a judgment of the mind coming from perception. And then, okay, there's a judgment. Now let me look again at what the mind was judging. Let me just look with fresh eyes at what the mind was judging and see it for what it is. As a perception. Yeah, yeah, as, as a perception, but you know, maybe I'll see some new things about it that when I just stayed with the perception, you know, with the naming of what it is, I didn't see. You know, so perception, perception limits, can limit our our understanding when we when we so for example we look out the window and you know so what is it out there it's a tree right well it's you know it's a tree but like you know what do we know about what a tree is i mean a tree is an amazing being a tree is uh you know, as much as we can see above, there's more below, and and then I, uh, Anais is a botanist, and she was telling me about how tree roots are connected to all the fungi, and the fungi can go, like one fungi can can extend for kilometers. So, and, and, and there's an interdependent relationship between, a symbiotic relationship between the the tree and the fungi that help the tree to bring nutrients. Like, wow, you know, what's a tree? And, and how does the tree sense? Like trees sense, you know, they're sensitive beings. And they connect, uh, they connect with the roots and to one another. Yeah, they connect to one another too in forests and they, you know, and they send they messages to each other. Them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, maybe they say, Oh, here comes some guy with a chainsaw. Yeah, so I mean there's so much yeah. we don't know about trees. I, you know, we just see a tree and it's like a word, a tree, a thing, you know, it's so limited. So, so when we have, you know, like a perception, can we look more deeply 
So, so maybe we, there's somebody in our place of work or somebody on our, who lives on our block or in an apartment nearby, you know, and okay, so that's, you know, that's Joe. Uh, hi, Joe. You know, how you doing? Good. You know, Joe dresses a certain way and, you know, and, and we have an idea of what Joe is, you know, who Joe is. And, but we don't know Joe. You know, we have a perception, a very limited perception of Joe. And Joe is a whole universe of, of experience and, and hopes and fears and loves perception. and of his perceptions. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The, the discernment that we could have, because I guess this is how I experience it, is it, yes, there's, there's no absolute truth. And at the same time, there is a way when you're not that much in reaction where you can discern things more clearly, one from the others. This is what discernment is. Just, is it, I just want to yeah. interconnect what that was uh, Well, I, the way I understood, I understand the word discernment, how it's used in practice, has to do with skillful and unskillful okay. a lot. Like what's leading to suffering and what's leading to more, you know, happiness and connection and kindness. So uh, I think that's how it's usually used, but yeah. I mean, it's maybe so distinguishing or... I, but I'm, so I'm, not, I'm not really sure what, uh, it, it what was you're... More, it was more the, the, this thing about just to not finish on, you know, there so much perception as nothing real. It, it was maybe more an okay. angle to say that when we are more able and skillful to not react, there is a way to see the reality a little bit more clearly, to discern a little bit more about, let's say, a conflict, a relationship, uh, our feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so yes, there it's still uh, something very subjective and not absolute, and at the same time, there is a way for for development, for right. just one. Right. I don't want to go down the, <coughs> excuse me, the path of nihilism. No, yeah, no, this isn't nihilism. There is, there it's is, there are, you know, that it's all just a perception. It's all just meaningless, you know, because it's all just a perception. Yeah. So work skillfully with discernment <coughs> to know how to behave or how to react when a certain uh, feeling comes up or a phenomenon arises. Yeah, yeah. It, so, so it's it's not that there is nothing, you know. It's that we don't know everything about what is, and we there's always more to take in. I mean, there's always more to open to in in the you know this amazing mystery of being and and so um, you know and of course you know even though our perceptions are limited we um, we we function you know on a day-by-day day basis and we you know we interact with people as, as if we know them <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, even though we don't know who they are in this moment, you know, but we interact with people that you know we recognize and we greet them and and we we have a, a basis of shared experiences and and understandings and communication that we build on. Um, yeah, uh, but but you know we should we we can be kept from assuming that we, we, we know, you know who someone is. And, um, yeah, that, that uh, expression that I used um, yesterday ab about uh, the Chinese expression that, the Chinese Buddhist expression that when, we, when we're not mindful, we're killing life. Um, I think that's the sense of it. And when we are mindful, we're giving life to life. So we're engaging fully in life. 
I think you. Well, I was just going to say that when you're talking about like the perception of an external behavior, maybe by someone <coughs> else, um, where to decrease the suffering that you're talking about, what about just asking for clarification on what somebody meant instead of because perception turns into assumption when it comes to relationships. Yeah, absolutely. People, not with treatment, but with people. Yeah. There's a lot of suffering that can be so what do you mean? <laughs> absolutely. Of, like, storming away with this <coughs> Yeah, yeah, like, like, can, can, yeah, we really need to um, just, ask. just ask and continue to inquire. It's, it's part of mindful investigation is to really try to understand deeply. You know, it's deep listening. Um, I have lots of things, but part, partly what keeps coming up in my mind is, is the idea of impermanence, right? That even our perceptions um, become ri rigid of people, and that's not the only thing they are, or the only, you know, yeah. that, that is part of it. But I, I also was struggling with the idea of decision-making when, you know, we perceive something and then we perceive, you know, or we have a feeling about making a decision and then we have another feeling about that decision. And, you know, you go back and forth and then how do you know which is the feeling that's right, you know, when you have to do something. And, uh, um, and I was thinking that possibly one of the, one of the feelings could be about clinging, you know, to something of loss, but the other decision, the other part of that decision is, is where you need to go somehow, but sometimes. Yeah, you yeah, it's, it's sometimes really not clear, you know, uh, and, and then a decision somehow gets made, you know, so is it, is it that I make the decision or the, does the decision kind of emerge, mm -hmm. uh, kind of through me? Um, I, I, I find decisions kind of interesting and I find that often, you know, when I'm sitting with something and there's not clarity about it, you know, a decision begins, if I'm not, if I'm not holding, you know, for or against, if I'm open, a decision often just comes through, you know. But we all, you know, we all have different ways, and, <coughs> but, uh, I just, I guess I'm just talking about that perception of, like, clarity when you, and then it keeps changing, that it can become very yeah. challenging. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's life, mm -hmm. inherently unstable. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have something you wanted to say? I, I just wanted to go back to beliefs and perceptions, because, uh, it, it seems to me that perceptions are influenced so much by the way we have been taught or conditioned. So that uh, police officers in the United States see black people and ex have them in a certain way. They see them in a certain way. Uh, we live, and I'm just struggling with this idea of white privilege. That is something that <coughs> influences the way we perceive the world, and uh, I, for me, so there is something already, definitely in 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 our in our minds that yeah. leads us to see these things. Yeah. So beliefs, you know, form perceptions. Beliefs that come from society. Beliefs that come from our upbringing, and then how we perceive is is definitely shaped by those. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, and we think that that's how things are, yeah. you know? and uh, until the perception shifts. One, one last. I just uh, usually <coughs> when the Buddha talks about it, it's the word is views instead of opinions, and like you should let go of views and you shouldn't grasp views. And it's I just love it because it's like a lens that you see everything through. So all your perceptions of your s sensations. Are your are colored by your views, and so you have to right. go of that and witness that in your meditation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much.
Um. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.